this is a talk about an Oxford technology which is likely to be very useful in vision. And if anyone has any questions for me, I've put my email address there and any question you have, just email me and I'll try and answer it. It could be interesting to ask the question, how, how did I settle on this notion making glasses for about a pound? Um, where did that come from? So uh, by way of introduction, I'll explain where, it, where that notion came from. Um, in 1985, oh, let me say, by the way, that if you want to see all the original prototypes that led to this technology, or no, many of them, if you go to the exhibition, there's a little display case, and it has my, uh, my very first lens, and then the first lens that worked really well, and then some prototype glasses, as well as actually the latest eyeglasses, which I'm working on now. Normally, when I give a talk like this, I have these prototypes in my bag, and I can sort of take them out and show them to you, but they're actually in the display case, so I'm just going to have to describe it, although I do have um, half of one of the prototypes here. Out of curiosity, and uh, encouraged by a friend in New College, I started thinking about whether you could make um, lenses of variable focus. Now, that might sound a little bit um, frightening to you, um, depending on your background, but every one of you here has actually got two variable focus lenses in your head, in fact, in your eyes. So you're actually quite familiar with lenses like this, just that you probably don't look at it that way. But um, I made my first lens, which you can see in the exhibition, in uh, March 1985. It didn't work very well. And for reasons which I don't think I will ever understand or know, I sort of thought, hmm, I think I should make a better one. So in May 1985, um, I sketched, I have a copy, this, this original sketch is in the, um, uh, in the exhibition. This is the sketch of this lens. And I um, made up this lens on my kitchen table in Oxford. And um, this one is not complete, but it, it, it's, uh, I had two made. This is the second one, which I then sort of took to bits and did other things with. And I basically put this lens to my eye when it was filled with fluid and with plastic membranes back and front as the one in the exhibition. And I looked through it and I changed, filled it with water, changed the power, looked in the distance and found that I could accurately correct my myopia. I am short-sighted. I, uh, I have about one and a half diopter correction, so I can't see very clearly in the distance. But I found something in a way quite remarkable. I could make a lens for pennies. I could look through it. I could change the power. And I could accurately correct my myopia uh, or short sight. Um, very accurately corrected. So I started to think about this, um, and um, I'm really a bit of a slow thinker. So I thought about it. I had two, two ideas occurred to me, two research questions occurred to me. One was, if I can correct my myopia 
this way? Can other people do it? Um, then a, a subsidiary question was, how many people are there in the world that need glasses? And is this way, could this be a way of making them glasses? Because I know I can make lenses very cheaply, cost pennies. Um, I know I can accurately correct my vision. So how many people could benefit from this technology? And as I say, I'm a bit slow. So that was in 1985. So the first lens that worked nicely I made in 1985, I started to try to find out, find someone who knew the answer to my question, how many people need glasses? It's, a very, it's actually a very interesting question. The answer is not known with any precision. Um, but we can do a little experiment. Put your hands up if you wear glasses or contact lenses. Oh, wow. That's about, that's, that's almost, that must be about 90%. Now, okay, well, uh, in fact, that's not typical. The, uh, if you take the UK population, approximately two-thirds wear corrective eyewear, if you average over all ages. Um, same in France, Germany, America, um, perhaps a slightly higher proportion in Japan. And so... You, if you take the world's population, 7 billion, two-thirds of that population, it, there is no difference in the biology between different uh, people. There's a little difference, not big. So you know that in order to see clearly, um, you've got about 4 billion people that need glasses. Um, the industry estimates that about 1.7 billion already wear glasses, so you subtract that from the... You get about 3 billion. So, uh, and that estimate that we just did here as an experiment is more accurate, a lot more accurate than the number that's put out by the World Health Organization. It's very interesting. So, I eventually found a gentleman uh, in 1994 in the World Health Organization, and his name is Bjorn Tillefors, and he was the director of the program for the prevention of blindness. And in February 1994, I telephoned him from my office in New College, around the corner, and uh, I, I said to him, uh, uh, how many people in the world need glasses? And he said, it's about a billion. And I said, I can solve that problem, uh, which was amazingly cheeky, really. <laughs> so I can solve that problem. And he said... He, and I will remember his words until I no longer have a memory. He said, if you can do that, you should do it. I thought that was a very interesting uh, observation. He then said, but you have to make them cheap. And I said, how much? And he said, about a dollar. So, uh, and you may see that my, my title was uh, about a pound. But if you look on Google and you work out what one dollar in 1994 was worth today. It's just about a pound. So um, that is where this, this uh, challenge to make eyewear for a billion people at a cost of about a pound comes from that conversation. And in fact, I noted the conversation afterwards, and I'll, I'll quote it to you because I think it's fun. I wrote to him... I'm writing to you following our interesting conversation of the 11th of February uh, last, 1994, to ask for a little help in researching statistics about the provision of eye care worldwide. 
As I believe I mentioned in our discussion, I wasn't that cheeky in the letter. I'm a physicist. I have been developing ways of making adaptive lenses of good optical quality. I know from my own trials on myself, exclamation mark, that I can make an adaptive lens spectacle which may be used to correct my own vision very well. I believe that it should be possible, using my technology, to manufacture such spectacles inexpensively for mass use so that populations in the developing world could, for example, obtain useful vision correction without the expensive infrastructure which is normally associated with the eye care industry in the developed world. I would be very grateful if you could send me any WHO information on the extent of the problem. Um, and he, he'd also researched this question. He sent me this little booklet. Um, and on the back of the booklet, which is a WHO publication from 1997, it says, it is estimated the sight of one-fifth of the population could be improved by the use of spectacles, including the sight of about 10% of school children. So even then, the WHO was prepared to say that 10% of school children effectively need eyeglasses. Well, that's an awfully large number. So that is where um, this, this challenge, if you like, came from. Now... Um, why is the problem so big? Why is it, you know, here we live here, we need glasses, you go into an optician and they do a measurement uh, and then they create eyeglasses for you and um, they have, it's, it's quite a process, the conventional process, you need a, a measurement and effectively what's being done is that an instrument, an optical instrument is made for each of you so that it gives you good correction. And uh, the problem is that um, you go to the, much of the developing world, you don't have sufficient eye care practitioners or professionals to operate that model. That model can't work. Well, to give you an example, there are still countries in Africa where you have about one optometrist per million of the population. Whereas here, we have about one optician per 5,000 people. And um, so it's not just a problem of money, it's a problem of access. And why is it a problem? Um, what do we need? Why, you know, why bother? Why, why is this a problem? Well, the answer is um, that you need clear vision for a number of different things. You need it for education. Um, many people need clear vision to work. There are hundreds of millions of people in the world who, when they get to about 45 or so, find that their near vision uh, doesn't work anymore because they become so-called presbyopic, as everyone will at around that age, and they can't work anymore if they don't have glasses. Um, and it's a health issue. Uh, there are other interesting tasks uh, that you need glasses for. Most governments uh, will insist that you need to be able to see to drive, but they don't do much, see clearly to drive, but they don't do much about ensuring that their populations can see clearly. And of course, uh, with blurry vision, your quality of life is compromised. So those are the things you need your vision for. It's also quite interesting to ask if you've got a world where 
two, well, certainly between two and three billion people, depending on exactly what criterion you set, need vision correction, what does this cost the world? And in fact, someone asked me to write a little paper on this, uh, and uh, that's the paper. I can send it to you if you're interested. And I did some sums. I'm not an economist, by the way. If anyone in the audience is a development economist and would like to write a more learned paper on this, I would be delighted. But um, my, I did some sums and concluded that the cost to the world of uncorrected vision is about 1% of GDP, which is nearly a trillion dollars. So, you know, this is a big problem which has an impact on the world. Um, and so, how do you solve the problem? Well, I've sort of given you the answer. I've given you the answer from my perspective. If you can make eyeglasses at low cost and you can distribute them and people can adjust them to correct their vision, then you have a means of solving this problem. It doesn't mean the problem is solved. It means that you have a way of solving it. You know, there's a temptation sitting here in Oxford to, as a, taking an academic approach. Oh, well, I've solved that problem. I'll move on to something else now. But actually, the fact that you have a technical solution doesn't mean the problem's solved. You've got to make these things and you've got to distribute them to a couple of billion people. So, and that's really where this technology sits now. I should give you a little bit of history as well. Um, the, hmm. I was once asked, I, mean, I can't resist telling you a joke because I checked my watch to see how long I've got, um, because I was once invited to give a talk uh, in America uh, to a large industry meeting and this chap introduced me he said here's Josh he's going to tell you about the future of eyewear I've given him five minutes <laughs> and he said because you know what it's like with professors you wind them up they talk for an hour <laughs> so I actually talked for 12 minutes at that time so anyway a, a little bit of history because the history when I invented my first lens which you will see in if you go to the exhibition I thought, I probably had somewhere at the back of my mind the fact that people had made things a bit like that, but it wasn't at the front of my mind. But as I'm, once I started looking into it, I thought, well, I, I ought to really look at the literature. And I discovered that people had been making uh, variable power optics. Well, the Romans... Uh, uh, apparently used um, flexible shields to be able to focus the sun on their enemies. And that goes back to Roman times. Um, more recently, in 1747, a German instrument maker made a fluid-filled variable power lens. I don't think for uh, optical, uh, for, to correct vision. But there's a very interesting piece of work in 1879 by a French doctor by the name of Cusco, um, which was a self-refraction device. And then if you look in the patent literature, you find almost, just, you sort of come away thinking, oh, I, almost everyone has invented a variable power lens. Uh, I, you know, there's nothing very new there. 
Um, and in fact, I'll show you one or two um, things. That, that's Cusco's device. And he had a, a fluid-filled lens with a uh, standard fixed lens on the front and a little thin quartz plate. And you change the fluid pressure in the lenses with this manometric system here, and it changed the power. And you look through it, and you could measure your own refraction. So he was years ahead of his time. He patented that as well. I suspect he never made any money from it, but there, there you go. Um, and these glasses, which are due to Mitchell from, I think, 1927, that's a very similar idea, a bit more wearable. Um, and this was... Uh, as I moved through this, I thought, well, maybe this is a way of making uh, adjustable spectacles. The thing that you, that's where some pairs are circulating, uh, which uh, we called the adspects, Actually, it was the name AdSpec was given to it by our overseas aid agency who were kind enough to provide some money to trial this device. You know, I go back and think about what I said. I said, well, could other people do this? Now, it's actually crucially important with a procedure like this that you test it, um, that you do a clinical test of the procedure. It's all very well for me to say, look, here's some glasses, you can adjust them to your vision. Um, now let's get on, make them and sell them. There are actually companies that do that. But that can be a little dangerous because um, you're in a regulated area. You've got two professions. Those professions may not like to hear that people can do something for themselves uh, as accurately as would be done by a professional who spent five years um, training. But I would contend that our research has shown that, yes, you, you people can. Well, I'll show you in a moment. Um, but you've also got an industry. You've got an industry that makes uh, several big lens makers that make billions of pounds every year selling conventional lenses, and it may not quite be in their interest to see this new technology come along. So you've got to proceed very carefully, and you've got to show by research that the procedure that I've just described and you've just tried out works. So um, what we did, working with others, of course, we um, designed this thing, which are, I think, as Wilma said, the, the first um, universal adjustable spectacles. They were actually designed, oh, uh, around 2002 or so. Um, and they were initially um, used in trials to see how accurately people could self-adjust. And you want to mention two things. You put them, I'll show you, I'll go through the procedure. Um, here we are. I can't see very clearly, so I adjust one lens, I adjust the other lens, and now I can see outside clearly. Someone's waving at me. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I can now see clearly. Okay, so what, that's, what you do with these. Well, when you're running a clinical trial, 
uh, what you do is you give people a procedure, which you run them through, um, and it's written up in our research papers and they're on our website and I can send you the papers if you're interested. But you get them to adjust so that they've got best acuity, sharpest vision, and then you, um, you essentially measure the power that they have set the lenses to and you also observe what their clearest vision is. And you look to see, um, and then you get an optometrist to do the same thing, and you compare the results. Uh, that's effectively what our clinical trials are. And you look to see whether someone can make their own eyewear as accurately as a practitioner could. And this is an evidence base. What, what the research that I've been involved in, I haven't done it all myself, I've had lots of very uh, clever collaborators I've worked with. And the very early trials I dreamed up myself, and the later ones there was more input, of course, from um, professionals. But um, we initially uh, used this device to establish how accurately adults could self-adjust their own eyewear. And um, then we did a trial. Well, what then happened actually was that a chap from the World Bank, who also came, came from Oxford, his name is Bundy, Don Bundy. Don Bundy knew about this work, and he asked whether, um, whether we could use this approach to make eyewear for children in school. And that led to a series of clinical trials um, called the Child Self-Refraction Study, where there were two uh, uh, trials of about 500 pupils in China, one in rural China, one in urban China, and then there was a third trial in inner-city Boston, which looked at this question of how accurately, we, when we refined it down, we looked just at myopic teenagers aged between 12 and 18 and up to five doctors of myopia. And the question was, well, how accurately can they set their own eyewear and what, what sort of vision do they get? And uh, in fact, again, it, the papers are on our website. These are the results from the Boston trial. And what this is, is a comparison of self-refraction, giving you the power that they set, with refraction found by, refraction by the way, is the power of the lens that it's thought you need to get clear vision. That's a technical term for it. Um, it's a comparison. Now, if the, if the agreement were perfect, you would just get uh, a straight line going through the origin here. But you see there's a scatter around this and not everyone gets perfect agreement. Um, and in fact, that has led to uh, some more ideas for a further clinical trial. Um, if anyone is here from the medical uh, division, I've just put in for some money to run a further trial um, but uh, to, to test that. But uh, that apart, the, the dramatic thing you find is, this is a somewhat technical slide, but this is the distribution of acuity, which is the clarity of vision, where high numbers are bad and low numbers are good, and this is the distribution of acuity of the Boston sample before uh, self-correction. And this is 
the uh, distribution of acuity, um, and as I said, low numbers are good. This is good vision here. And basically, you find, we found that in the three studies of teenage myopes, 95% uh, of them got a distance vision acuity of, um, speaking technically, 67.5, which is very near to 6.6, which is very near to 2020 vision. So um, the conclusion from that study was that myopic teenagers can use this approach to make glasses uh, so that they will, put crudely, be able to see the board. And there are about 100 million of them. So I should just mention that of these, about 50,000 of these original um, glasses have been distributed in over 20 countries, most of them by the US military, and about 11,000 um, in Ghana by the education ministry. There's actually other technologies which have come along of variable lenses and there's probably a similar number of adjustable lens eyeglasses that have been put out in effect pointing to our, our studies and saying oh, oh it works which is actually a bit dangerous because the only eyeglasses the only adjustable eyeglasses that have actually been clinically tried so far are these um, so now I'll finish by just telling you a little bit about the... Um, I won't quite finish. I'll, I'll very briefly tell you about the Child Vision Project. Um, in 2010, some chap turned up at my house and said, we've been following your work and we think it's important and interesting. He was from a large American company. And he said, um, what can we best do to help you? His name is uh, James Stevenson. James was then with the company Dow Corning that makes the fluid in these glasses, which is a high-index silicone fluid. And I said, and I said, well, we've done research. It wasn't yet then published. I said, we've done research. Here are the results. Shows that myopic teenagers can make their own glasses to very good accuracy and there's about 100 million of them need glasses to see the blackboard. So the most urgent thing to do now is to make eyewear for that group of children. And uh, he said, what will it cost? And I said, well, about a million pounds. And he said, mm, not, not much point in making one. How about you make 50,000? And I said, well, about a million. He said, fine, you need two million. And amazingly, the Centre for Vision in the Developing World was given. Uh, $3 million to make these, which have just been taken to production. So these are, um, these are child vision glasses, uh, which is a product which has just come to mass production and is about to go into clinical trial. And again, there's a pair of these in the exhibition. That's the prototype. Well, that's a design. See, you have to do two things. When you make eyewear for for children, or actually anybody, you've not just got to ensure that it functions properly optically, you've got to make it look so that people are prepared to wear it. So actually, we had a, a team of designers, very gifted designers, designing this thing. And then the next challenge was to take the design, which wasn't, isn't entirely manufacturable, and turn it into a product where you can make 100 million. 
And that, that stage has just, we've just got to that stage. Uh, the first production batch of these, this is from the first production batch, which was sent out before the Chinese New Year uh, from the factory in China that makes them, which was a few days ago. And, uh, you know, you can make them look a bit more attractive by changing the colour. And I thought I will finish um, now by saying, well, what's the future for this sort of technology? Well, these are fluid-filled adjustable eyeglasses. They are, in a way, the latest state of the art. There's another product which is just becoming available which is very expensive, which does much the same thing. But these things are designed to be made for, again, a few dollars. And these, uh, we didn't, I, I had some role, some minor role at the beginning of this um, project, but this was, um, these are, um, will, I am told, be for sale in the USA in the next, in coming months. And, um, Looking a bit further forward, um, the next generation, I'll finish by saying that um, what, what I'm thinking about is, well, how do you take the approach that's used here and actually make something that looks a bit like that, which is, you know, fashionable, but is still adjustable? And I think that this will come it will take a noticeable amount of money and it will take some time. But I, my personal belief is that you will see um, that the aesthetics of this area of technology will continue to improve, that uh, the optical quality will just get better and that the cost per pair will fall. Um, because really there's nothing in this technology that should cost a lot of money. Um, you, you will be able eventually to make these for a few dollars. Um, and um, that's really all I wanted to say. I would like to thank, I have loads of people who work with me and people who have supported this, um, governments and um, private individuals who have supported this work um, over a long period and I want to thank them all. Um, and if you have any questions, um, you should just ask me. Thank you.